Welcome to the Decide Your Legacy podcast, helping individuals and businesses unleash their potential. Join us every episode as host Adam Gregg discusses what is holding us back and how to find hope for moving forward. Along the way, we discuss developing healthy relationships and navigating life transitions while overcoming fear, stress, and anxiety. Live the life you want, the legacy you decide. Hey, thanks for tuning in. This is the Side Your Legacy podcast. I'm going to talk to you about coping with anxiety, actually overcoming anxiety in your life. This is part two. So today we're going to actually go in depth about what you do when you are in a situation that is really triggering some heavy anxiety. The first episode on anxiety was a lot about prevention, how to prevent anxiety, changing your perspective, increasing and engaging in relationships, basically self-care stuff right there. Today, it's going to be more of those tips and tricks you can do right away. So I'm Adam Gregg, and I'm a life coach, mental health professional, been doing this over 20 years. And my purpose in life is helping people find that kind, find clarity so they can make real life transformations. And that means helping them often overcome their biggest fears, things that are holding them back. Today's topic is going to be just about that. And when I approach a podcast, just to keep in mind, I try to communicate things that are simple enough that a six-year-old can understand it, that it's basic enough, practical enough that you can apply it to your life right now, not too complex. And I also talk about topics that are going to be challenging to me. So as I talk about this, like the topic of anxiety, I mean, I haven't figured all this stuff out. I have my own anxiety. I struggle with this. In fact, I struggle with getting getting enough sleep a lot of times. I struggle with staying asleep. I struggle with anxiety in general at times. I wouldn't say that it like is immobilizing me all the time and that kind of thing, but I'd say I struggle and I need to hear the same message that I'm going to talk to you about today. This subject is very important. I mean, we have a lot of stuff going on out there. There is so much negativity out there. I mean, if you go anywhere in society in America right now, you're going to hear a lot of negative buzz. You're going to hear about the bad things that are happening, the bad people, all of this. We have all experienced bad people. I mean, I've experienced bad people. If you're over 18 years old, probably if you're over five years old, you've experienced at some level interacting with somebody that's bad, negative, all that. I mean, maybe not necessarily evil, although there's those kinds of people too. I know I've had I've had some very difficult bosses in my life. I've had situations where I've trusted people, um, people that should have been excellent role models for me, and I realized in the relationship that I couldn't trust them, was betrayed, was hurt, devastated actually. But those kinds of situations shouldn't define the way we view our future and the other people we interact with. I mean, those are outliers, honestly. Really, even in my life, they're outliers. They're not the, they're not the kinds of people I interact with on a regular basis. In fact, once I realize someone's a bad person, I wanna distance myself from them from that person, from that organization, from that situation. But what happens in our minds is we can categorize easily. We can say, hey, anybody that reminds me of that kind of person, that's a bad person. So I have a bad boss. That person, whoever my next boss is, they're going to be in the same stinking category right there. Or we start making just rash generalizations about people in general. So somebody, let's say a business owner or somebody that has money, well, they're selfish, you know, or they stole from people to get their money. Or they're going to take advantage of people in order to have and build wealth. Well, that's categorizing somebody. We're making these all or nothing categories. In that, it becomes something that we do in all kinds of walks of life. So good people, bad people. 
remember in high school and in college, actually in high school, I had a situation where um, the Grateful Dead used to come to Sacramento where I grew up every single year. And I grew up in a pretty conservative kind of Catholic background, went to an all boys high school and everything. And so people would start saying things about like deadheads, people that follow the Grateful Dead. And in fact, I would go to the festival and all that, and I was pretty interested in it, but I could remember myself kind of categorizing people, like all people who like the Grateful Dead, well, they must be drug users, bad influences, stay away from those people. And then I'd meet really nice people, and so it was kind of challenging my categorization. In fact, you know, you wouldn't believe this about me, but I went to one of the very last Grateful Dead concerts in Eugene, Oregon, You probably can't believe that, but if you know me, but it's true. And, you know, but those categorizations, I mean, music, whatever, I'll probably never like country music. Like I like alternative and other genres and everything, but maybe I will one day. That categorization actually causes anxiety because we only look at things through polarization. And our brain says, okay, if this checklist is checked off, then they're safe. You know, if this checklist is not checked off, then they're not safe. And so it takes us away from our intuition, which I would suggest is the thing that keeps us safe more than anything. Because our intuition is going to tell us, hey, let's just judge a person as we get to know them and get a sense for how they interact with us. And we get a sense for their character. We get a sense for this vibe that they put off. And then we make decisions accordingly. It's not like all resume. I mean, some people that are really rigid in their thinking, they make very poor decisions. They can be very gullible because someone can just check off the boxes and they're automatically going to think that they're a good person or they can fulfill the role that they're in. So you look at somebody and say, oh man, look at their resume. You know, it's like this, this used car salesman mentality. I mean, they're very friendly. They say all the right things. I must be able to trust them with buying a car. Well, what if their resume has Ivy League? They work for all these different companies. You check their references. People say nice things and good things about them. But your vibe is like, man, this is not a trustworthy person. Something is off there. Well, that's something we should listen to. And when we don't listen to that, then we get caught in this cycle of just feeling so much like we have to look and analyze situations consistently with our mind. And then that's how we're making assessments. So we're stuck in our head. That's what anxiety is. We're stuck in our head. That's it right there. So our brains, basically, we are trying to make the complex less complex. So we're categorizing people, places, things, situations. We do this because we believe it keeps us safe and it simplifies everything. It causes problems because then we become somebody that's always analyzing the situation to look for whatever could go wrong, whatever is bad, whatever is negative. We become extremely negative because that's just how we're training our mind to work. We're not seeing the benefit. We're not seeing the positive. And here's the kicker too, is that negativity actually sticks. It's much stickier. It's like Velcro. You know, it sticks because our brains say we want to, we want to believe that. We want to see that. We want to just kind of make that stick. It takes about two seconds for something that's pessimistic or negative to stick. It takes about 14 seconds for something that's optimistic, that's hopeful, that has a lot of faith built into it to actually stick. It's about seven times harder to be an optimist than it is to be a pessimist. It takes a lot of work. So think, if you end your day today, you're gonna have many more opportunities at the end of the day to fill your mind with negativity than things that are actually uplifting. And it's gonna be your decision. There's very few things in life we have control over, but what we do put into our heads and who we interact with and how we engage the world around us is something we have some level of control over. We can set boundaries, we can do some things. And I'm gonna talk about that more as we keep going. 
So the battle to be positive, that's why it's so important here. We talk about this. We have about 60,000 thoughts a day or more. About 95% of those are gonna be the same in style, positive or negative or neutral, today as they were yesterday, unless we do something to rise above them and actually change them. So much negative stuff going on. Here's what happens when we're anxious too, physiologically, is our heart rate actually increases, meaning we think we're in danger. You know, our heart rate increases, we get tunnel vision, we fixate on whatever that problem is, whatever that problem, so we get start categorizing based on our fixation, because our brains are very good at categorizing. We actually lose our ability to be creative and we lose our sense of humor because when we're in danger, why do we wanna laugh? Nobody's gonna laugh when they're in danger. And people aren't gonna be creative when they're in danger either. They're not gonna think outside the box. They're gonna specifically focus on what they're trained to do in that specific situation. They're gonna specifically focus on that thing that's causing them danger. And that's what you're doing when you're anxious. You're just channeling all that energy that could be used for creativity towards something that probably isn't actually gonna even hurt you. You know, maybe you were bit by a dog. Does that mean, and maybe it was a pit bull. Does that mean that every pit bull is gonna bite you? And when you see a pit bull at the park, you gotta run from the pit bull? I mean, that's what people do because they categorized pit bulls into all these this bad category. And then it takes them being exposed to other pit bulls that they realize, man, pit bulls can be the best dogs. I mean, I want a pit bull. I mean, they're gonna lick, they lick you, they just, they love you, you know? And so then you become this huge fan and then you become offended by anyone that criticizes pit bulls. And it makes sense. You know, I had a, as I mentioned earlier, a really difficult situation with a boss and I actually had two situations that I would say were not the best with bosses. One that was really difficult though, but after that experience, I kind of had this jaded mentality that I can't trust. But then the experience I had after that second bad experience with a boss was probably the best boss I ever had in my life. Name's Gordon Rogers. I mean, I, I, I love him dearly. He was just very encouraging and uplifting. He said something encouraging to me every day that was very specific towards me through email, through letter, whatever. So that changed my thinking because I had this new category and it made me kind of approach bosses and people in authority in a very different way. They could be like Gordon. There's an opportunity to have a great boss again. So it changed me. When we're anxious, our cortisol level increases as well. But here's the thing, you're doing things to feed your anxiety and you probably don't actually even know it. What are you doing? I'm sure you're wondering what you're doing. Well, first of all, you're probably, because you're anxious, you're not focusing. You're just, everything is ambiguous. Everything is ambivalent. Everything is foggy. Every, you can't put, you can't define what it actually is that's bothering you. I'm telling you. I mean, because you don't step back from the situation, you're just in crisis mode. And you may think that you've defined the problem, but you probably have not. Anxiety feeds off of that ambiguity, that lack of clarity. Anxiety loves it. You know, think of it as like, it's like a plant that you have flowers in your backyard. If you water them, they grow, they thrive, they get healthy. If you don't water them, they die. Anxiety is like a plant you want to die. You gotta stop watering it. That ambiguity, you're adding to it because, and unwillingly and actually unknowingly, you're adding that ambiguity to your situation. You're not defining the actual problem. It's ambiguity. The other thing, one, the second thing we do to feed our anxiety is we focus on the worst possible outcome. I mean, we don't even put any energy into that it could be a nice dog or it could be a good boss or it could be a great opportunity. We don't even actually go there because going there means that we have to be vulnerable. We have to actually challenge our assumptions. And if we challenge our assumptions, we perceive that's gonna take actually more work than just believing going down the path of least resistance, just believing what we've always believed. 
believing what we've always believed based on the past history that we've actually experienced. So that worst outcome becomes an addiction, in fact. In fact, people think worrying keeps them safe because they'll say things to me like, hey, if I don't worry, I won't be productive. I won't get my stuff done. I won't actually do it. I'll just lay around, lay on the couch all day and watch football. And maybe they will. I mean, maybe they're just lazy, but I would suggest it's not the worry that's making them lazy. You know, it's the fear possibly that's making them procrastinate, but it's probably some other bad habits that they have. And it's probably actually, they're going to probably be much more creative if they just learn to trust themselves, step back from the worry, have a plan, engage it, and then do things methodically like work for an hour, take a break, work for an hour, take a break. They have some kind of a plan that they engage. That's going to make them more, it's not the, the worry's not keeping them safe. It's not forcing them to do anything. I mean, they may think that deadlines are helping them, but I'll tell you, deadlines are great. You should have deadlines, even artificial deadlines, because those are going to motivate you. But if you get to that point where, you know, you're procrastinating so much that you got to get it all done in the next day or the next half day or whatever, your creativity is going to be gone. I mean, it's not going to be what you think it is. You may get it done. You may get it done well, even, but you're actually draining your resources and depleting your creativity. And the third thing, the third thing that I would say is the biggest thing that feeds anxiety is avoidance. Just hiding from it, hiding from whatever it is that initially triggered that fear that we experienced. So for me, I know I've had some experiences that were negative. I mean, I remember that I had this little game called the Legacy Jar. It's a question thing. You buy it and it gives you questions to actually ask to start conversations. And I remember a family member, someone I love and everything, when I first showed that, you know, revealed that I was going to start selling this thing, they laughed. They said it was silly. And I could at that point said, man, I'm not going to do this then, you know, or I could have used it to say, well, you know, that's one person's opinion. I can prove them wrong. And it took me a while to kind of shake that off, but they ended up becoming a big fan. And I think as of recently, I had sold over three or 400 of these things. I'm not exactly sure. But anyway, I mean, it's, it's been a mild success and it's been certainly something that I'm glad I stuck with and didn't get sucked into that negativity because that worst outcome not only can come from within ourselves, but it can come from all the people that are around you that worry. All the people that you can easily let into your life that are going to see the negative. And you just be very careful with those people. You can't avoid them. But, you know, you can you can uh, say really negative things about them and spread lots of rumors about them so that their lives are very miserable. I'm just kidding about that. But you can just become very disciplined in your distancing from the negativity. You know, and that can be the what you watch on TV and that can be just what you engage in, um, people you hang out with, that sort of thing. So and there's the difference between a friend and somebody you're trying to help as well there. So then the avoidance though, we just do whatever we can to possibly feel that feeling again, to engage that thing again. So for me, it would have been hiding from, you know, launching anything new. I know I was on a very difficult flight once and it was uh, from my hometown to, uh, it was actually to my hometown from where I was living at the time. And it was just very turbulent, you know, and it went on and on forever. And I remember thinking, man, I used to love to fly. And then that plane landed and everyone clapped and there were people that were freaking out and all this and praying out loud. And it was just not fun. And I got through it. But I remember after that plane landed, I, you know, I thought, oh, big deal, you know, but the next few months I started to do whatever I possibly could. And I had to fly home. So I had to fly home in a couple days, but I started to think about how I could take the train home. This is from California to the Midwest. I mean, it was a long, a long drive. I ended up flying just about a week later, which was a really good thing. But even after that next flight, I kept trying to talk myself out of flying ever again. It was like, why do I want to put myself through that again? 
I don't want to go and experience that and this 737, you know, flying coffin kind of thing. Why would I do that? And so, but I had to, and I did. And I remember trying to talk myself out of it, but I eventually engaged it. And I did some things that actually helped me. It took probably two years to really, to really face that fear down in a way where I didn't struggle with losing sleep and everything. So like I said, I mean, I struggle with anxiety too. So, but if you want to, if you want to think about it, you know, ambivalence or ambiguity, worst outcome, avoidance. You know, and even yesterday I had something happen where I I started, there was a weather system that came into town and I started, um, I was wrapping up my day, it was like 5.30 at night and then all of a sudden my left ear started to buzz, started to ring and, and it was nothing I had ever experienced before. I'm like, am I becoming a dog? I can like sense the weather changes and sure enough, I didn't even know this but a storm was coming into town but I started to get so negative thinking, am I gonna lose my hearing, you know? Am I? And then I had a party to go to at a friend's house, like a swim party, which it was kind of windy and cold because a storm was coming in, or and a weather system. But, but uh, and it's June in the Midwest, so it's not. It's kind of strange. But anyway, um, I couldn't hear the whole night. I mean, I was like had a ringing in my ear. I couldn't believe it. And and so then eventually, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm gonna go deaf. I'm gonna. I'm never gonna be able to hear again. I mean, what am I gonna do? How can I work? I mean, it was this, and this is the whole worst outcome kind of thing. And the whole avoidance thing too, because I was avoiding it by just simply worrying about it. And then eventually at the end of the night, I told myself, hey, if this persists and I have this problem in the morning, I'm gonna try my best to get a good night's sleep with ringing in my ear, then I'll go talk to an audiologist or a doctor. I'll get some kind of a test. I probably should, because my dad's had some hearing problems too, so I probably should do that anyway. And once I started to do that, my stress level decreased. I actually got some sleep and believe it or not, the hearing issue is less, less than significantly today. So I think the weather system left town and now I can hear again, but I don't know what it is. Very strange thing. So how do you apply this information? Well, here's what I want you to do. Think about some things you can do to actually define the problem. First thing you can do is figure out what is the problem? What are you really worried about? Are you worried about your career? Are you worried about money? Things I hear from clients, they worry about being embarrassed. I worry about being embarrassed. I don't wanna be embarrassed. I don't wanna be judged. Who does? That we worry about that. And then if we don't define the fact that we're not doing something because we're worried about it. I mean, I have clients sometimes, they really wanna change careers. They have an idea of what they can actually do that would be satisfying. Yet every time they go down the path of actually pursuing that new career, everything goes negative. You know, it won't work. It won't be just like I want it. Uh, people will laugh. It'll never make money. The I'm too old, and they may be like 25. You know, I'm too old. I should have done this when I was younger. I mean, whatever. It's all these things. And people change careers, by the way, in their 40s and their 50s at all kinds of different times. In their 60s and their 70s. You've heard the stories about people doing things. So the negativity is really from them, and it's from fear, and it's from anxiety. It's not actually reality, but that's what actually starts happening. So people will say things like, everything will fall apart. I can't change. All this stuff. So you define the problem. So I'm worried that if I start this new project, Project or whatever, I'll be embarrassed and everything will fall apart and I'll lose my job. And you can just kind of play it forward. Keep saying, well, what else? You know, and it may be that, you know, you're going to lose your family. You're going to lose your reputation. You're going to live in a box. You know, I don't, you're going to live in a van. I mean, I don't care, but something bad is really going on there and you got to figure out how to define it and address it. Really, I mean, I couldn't, if you were here, I'd, I'd yell at you about this. I mean, I'd tell you, you gotta figure this out and get some clarity to it. So what can you do? Well, you can write it down, you can journal it, you can actually express it to somebody, you can share how you feel to somebody that you trust, like I'm afraid. 
and I feel like I'm going to be embarrassed. And I feel like people are going to judge me. And then your real friends are going to listen to you and they're going to hear you and they're going to add some hope to that. They're going to add some perspective to that. But they're helping you with the ambiguity because if you get stuck in your head, you're going to believe potentially lies and see them as as accurately as truth. I mean, your lies will, will appear as if they're truth until you find a way to address the ambiguity and get it out. You can, you can actually, um, you can listen to what other people have to say. That can help you with the ambiguity, but somehow define the problem. Define the problem. One a great question to ask yourself in any situation that can help you clarify the problem too is what do I want? You know, what do I really want in life? What do I want in my career? What do I want my lifestyle to be like? What do I want my schedule to be like? And that can help you actually define some of your fears that you're worried about because you'll be able to identify what's holding you back from what you actually want. So in fact, a great question to ask yourself is what five things would I do if fear was not getting in my way? You know, Would you do some things differently? Would you meet new people? Would you start something new? Would you launch something? Would you create a little game and get laughed at by people? I don't know. What do you want? But those are the fears that you identify that'll give you some clarity so you can make sure you address it. So that's the first thing. Define the problem. You overcome the ambiguity. Second thing is, well, what is the best possible outcome or what is the most likely possible outcome? Any day of your life, you'll be able to say very easily, and I would suggest that anyone can say this in any circumstance. That's a hard thing to actually say because I've never been a POW and I've never had cancer and I've never lost I've had some really difficult, traumatic things happen in my life, but I've had other people and seen other people experience things that are worse. And worse is just kind of all relative as well, because I could say my stuff was worse just because of the nature of it or whatever, because how it impacted me. But I'll tell you, even in the lowest parts of my life, which I've had really low parts of my life, I would suggest that 90% of the things in my life were still positive, but I couldn't identify them at the time. And then 10% were probably negative. I just couldn't identify them at the time because I was so stuck in this head of mine, which is actually, I'm fairly smart, but this thing can be my worst enemy as well. And all you out there that are so analytical, sometimes you have to realize that you can struggle with anxiety at a higher level because your brain's so good at solving and recognizing problems. So it just sees, it sees solutions and problems at 10 times the level as some other people who are more laid back. So give your light, lighthearted, laid back friends a big hug and thank them because they can help you actually see things clearly. So what's the best outcome? And then you go ask yourself, you know, what's the opportunity here? What could go right here? What are reasons to be grateful here? I know if you've even listened to me at all, you know about my daily five and five, five things from yesterday that are positive, five things from tomorrow that are positive, that you're excited about, five things later on in the day that you're excited about. And if you don't have any, you plan them into your day, so you start training your thinking. I have this list of gratitude questions that I'll reference in the show notes if you want it, 25 excellent gratitude building questions, things you can actually journal about. I have some other ways that you can actually focus on the best outcome. One is just doing a journaling prompt that's gonna get you to think about your future and engage in your future. Also reference that in the show notes as well. So things you can also do is just make a list of 100 things that you have to be positive about in your life you know, over the next week and just don't let down. I once went to my buddy's 50th birthday party and someone had challenged him to write down 50 things that he was grateful for. And he went through that begrudgingly. But I remember after that was done, he was so grateful for being challenged to actually make that list. I thought that was pretty inspiring. And so the next thing, and again, this is the most challenging part of overcoming anxiety is you have to engage it. You have to face it. You create a plan. You figure out what's the best outcome. What is the problem? And then you engage some kind of plan. 
engaging it can be something as simple as doing some kind of mindfulness activities when you're in those anxiety triggering sessions or not sessions, but situations, you know, so something is triggering your anxiety at a really high level and you're learning to say, Hey, I'm going to focus on my breathing right now. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to count my breathing. And when you actually focus on your breathing, it really does something. It actually slows your breathing down. You can focus on the rising and falling of your belly, your abdomen, or your rib cage, and then it slows your breathing down. Good breathing is generally about six to eight breaths a minute. So it's a lot slower than we think. I like one of the features on my Apple Watch or my phone is this breathing app that you can set the duration, but I like to do like a two minute breathing, uh, just relaxation moment kind of thing. And so that, that's very helpful. Another mindfulness activity, something you can do to engage, to engage in the situation is you can just notice some things around you with all your senses. So notice what you see and describe it, either in your mind or somebody else or in your journal. Notice what you hear, notice what you feel, actually notice what you smell and taste, and that can take you out of your head and get you into your life. Going on a walk can be very helpful, but doing things to engage your fear. If you're afraid of flying, you might wanna watch some YouTube videos on planes taking off. You might wanna actually even go to the airport. You, we call this systematic desensitization. You actually systematically engage those things that cause you some level of fear. I've met people that are afraid of ground beef. And, you know, I don't laugh. Um, there are all kinds of different fears that people have. People are afraid of bugs, you know, and there's a history behind it. But you can incrementally engage that thing that you're afraid of. Having boundaries as well. Believe it or not, that's something that people are afraid of that they need to engage. A boundary can be with other people or with yourself. Boundary can simply be that I'm gonna say no in this kind of situation. I'm not gonna say yes to all the things my friends ask me to do, especially these kinds of things because they're compromising my values. I'm not gonna say yes to dating this kind of person. Then you meet one of whoever, maybe it's maybe it's a person that you know isn't isn't really balanced and healthy or they haven't been you know, making good choices recently. You know, they're an alcoholic and they're not in recovery or whatever. And you say, well, yeah, I'm gonna make sure people have the space and relationships to heal before I actually engage it. Then you stick with it because you're not compromising your values at that point. It's not judgment. It's just saying, well, I know in my heart intuitively that this is the best thing for me. It's just being true to yourself, saying no to certain projects because maybe you're not good at them. Saying no to yourself about staying up late or sleeping in too much or drinking too much coffee or drinking too much beer. I don't care what it is, but having boundaries is a way to engage it. So if you think about it, anxiety response to a plan, you're gonna have to face a fear. There's no way to deal with those major triggering anxieties in your life, situations in your life in the moment without doing something to actually face it, look it square in the eye and kindly address it, knowing that you can handle it. And all these things require faith. There's only one thing that's more powerful than fear and anxiety. There's only one thing that I've ever found, and that's, that is hope. Hope is what recognizes the potential, is what recognizes the opportunity. And that in itself is an act of the will to say, I can see what good can come out of this situation. Thank you for tuning in. If you haven't listened before, um, there's some things you can actually do. One is that you can sign up for my newsletter. You can sign up at decideyourlegacy.com. Um, and you can just sign up. There's a number of places on there. What I'm gonna do for you to sign up is I'm gonna give you a free 45-minute webinar that I've done that actually has some really great worksheets as a part of the webinar. I call it my healthy thinking skills that you can go through on your own that help you to change your perspective. It's all on anxiety. So this whole 45-minute webinar is anxiety. You get that. Plus you get a you get a life balance tips ebook 
It's been very popular and you get 50 great relationship building questions. Some of my favorite questions for building relationships with your friends, family, coworkers, colleagues. You can also subscribe to this podcast, which I love. This is episode number five. Subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends and family, you know, tell your boss, tell your parents about this podcast. I know they have a lot of anxiety because they raised you. So tell them as well. I'm just kidding about that. But anybody who you think could benefit from having a little bit different perspective on anxiety, having some hope, send them to this podcast. So thank you for tuning in. Make a decision. Make a decision. Apply something that you learned today. You decide your legacy. Nobody else. You decide your future. Your best future awaits. See you next time. Bye-bye. This show is part of the ICT Podcast Network. 